welcome to Lessons of Life, where we discuss the laws of mind and how they affect our lives. And there's 12 of them, and it's good to be aware of them so that we work with them rather than against them. But a new law was added when Jesus came, and his law is the law of forgiveness and love. So this is what uh, Francis Scoville Shen emphasized. And as I studied this, you know, it began with Neville, and he said, imagination creates reality. Well, Richard Wagner said that, which is what interested me into looking at that. And then he had a lecture called The Game of Life. And this uh, is basically the same story of The Game of Life by Francis Scoville Shin. The big difference between the two is that Neville was emphasizing belief and Francis Scoville Shin was emphasizing how the Christ has uh, died for us to take our sin away so that we are free to do our divine purpose and even if you don't know that purpose it will show itself to you if you wish. So today I'm going to read The Game of Life and How to Play It by, Fran by Florence Scoville Shin. And I hope it helps. I think her way of looking at things was a lot clearer than, uh, at least to me, than what Neville was proposing. Neville, in my mind, was... Uh, you know, forcing it through techniques until he didn't need the technique anymore. The techniques give you confidence, you know, but it's really about your thinking. Because as you think, so shall you be, as within, so without. So let us begin. Chapter 1, The Game. Most people consider life a battle, but it's not a battle. It's a game. It's a game, however, which cannot be played successfully without the knowledge of spiritual law. And the Old and the New Testaments give the rules of the game with wonderful clearness. Jesus Christ taught that it was a greater game of giving and receiving. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. This means that whatever man sends out in word and deed will return to him what he gives he will receive. If he gives hate, he will receive hate. If he gives love, he will receive love. If he gives criticism, he will receive criticism. If he lies, he will be lied to. If he cheats, he will be cheated. We are also taught that the imagining faculty plays a leading part in the game of life. Keep thy heart or imagination with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life what this means is what man imagines sooner or later externalizes in his affairs I know of a man who feared a certain disease it was a very rare disease and difficult to get but he pictured it continually and read about it until it manifested in his body and he died the victim of distorted imagination distorted thinking. You cannot separate your imagination and your thinking. It is part of your thinking. 
So we see, to play successfully the game of life, we must train the thinking faculty. A person with an imagining faculty trained to imagine only good brings into his life every righteous desire of his heart. Health, wealth, love, friends, perfect expression. His highest ideals. We understand now, on a side note, that there is a brain whole and complete in our hearts. And that is the righteous desires. When the desire is sent to you, it's saying, this is yours. Do you want it? It's a game. Yes, I accept that. And then you walk in confidence, which is faith, you know, and that you hope to see it soon, you know, which is expectation. And that, and love, and you know that love conquers all, and God would not have sent you the desire if he didn't want to give it to you. God is the gift, and God is the giver. Now back to our book. This means that what man imagines sooner or later externalizes in his fears. So we see to play successfully the game of life, we must train the imagining faculty, or your mind. A person with an imagining faculty trained to imagine only good brings into his life every righteous desire of his heart. Health, wealth, love, friends, perfect self-expression, his highest ideals. The imagination has been called the scissors of the mind, and it is ever cutting, cutting, day by day, the pictures man sees there. And sooner or later, he meets his own creations in his outer world. To train the imagination successfully, man must understand the workings of his mind. The Greeks said, know thyself. There are three departments of the mind, the subconscious, the conscious, and the higher self, the superconscious, the one in our hearts. The subconscious is simply power, without direction, it's the soil. It is like steam or electricity, and it does what it is directed to do. It has no power of induction. Whatever man feels deeply or imagines clearly is impressed upon the subconscious mind and carried out in minutest detail. For example, a woman I know when a child always made believe she was a widow. She dressed up in black clothes and wore a long black veil and people thought she was very clever and amusing. She grew up and married a man with whom she was deeply in love. In a short time he died and she wore black with a sweeping veil for many years. The picture of herself as a widow was impressed upon the subconscious mind and in due time worked itself out, regardless of the havoc created. The conscious mind has been called mortal or carnal, carnal mind. It is the human mind and sees life as it appears to be. It sees death, disaster, sickness, poverty, and limitation of every kind, and it impresses the subconscious. The superconscious mind is the God mind within each band and is the realm of perfect ideas. In it is the perfect pattern spoken of by Plato, the divine design, for there is a divine design for each person. There is a place that you are to fill, and no one else can fill it. Something you are to do, but no one else can do. There is a perfect picture of this in the superconscious mind. It usually flashes across the conscious as an unattainable idea. Something could too good to be true. 
Nothing is good, too good to be true. Nothing is too wonderful to happen. Nothing is too good to last. In reality, it is man's true destiny or destination flashed to him from the infinite intelligence which is within himself. Many people, however, are in ignorance of their true destinies and are striving for things and situations which do not belong to them and would only bring failure and dissatisfaction if attained. For example, a woman came to me and asked me to speak the word that she would marry a certain man with whom she was very much in love. She called him A.B. I replied that this would be a violation of spiritual law, but that I would speak the word for the right man, the divine selection, the man who belonged to her by divine right. I added, if A.B. is the right man, you can't lose him, and if he isn't, you will receive his equivalent. She saw A.B. frequently, but no headway was made in their friendship. One evening she called and said, do you know, for the last week A.B. hasn't seemed so wonderful to me. I replied, well, maybe he's not the divine selection. Another man might be the right one. Soon after that she met another man who fell in love with her at once and who said she was his ideal. In fact, he said all the things she had always wished A.B. would say to her. She remarked, it's quite uncanny. She soon returned his love and lost all interest in A.B. This shows the law of what Francis calls substitution, which is revision. A right idea was substituted for a wrong one. Therefore, there was no loss or sacrifice in fine. Jesus Christ said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And he said the kingdom was within man. The kingdom is the realm of right ideas, or the divine pattern. Jesus Christ taught that, taught that man's words played a leading part in the game of life. By your words you are justified and by your words you are condemned. Many people have brought disaster into their lives through idle words. For example, a woman once asked me why her life was now poverty of limitation. Formerly she had had a home, was surrounded by beautiful things and had plenty of money. We found that she had often tired of the management of her home and had repeated and had said repeatedly, I'm sick and tired of things. I wish I lived in a truck. And she added, Today I'm living in a truck. She had spoken herself into a truck. The subconscious mind has no sense of humor, and people often joke themselves into unhappy experiences. For example, a woman who had a great deal of money joked continually about getting ready for the poorhouse. In a few years, she was almost destitute, having impressed the subconscious mind with a picture of lack and limitation. Fortunately, the law works both ways, and a situation of lack may be changed to one of plenty. For example, a woman came to me one hot summer's day for a treatment for prosperity. She was worn out, dejected, and discouraged. She said she possessed just $8 in the world. I said, good. We'll bless the eight dollars and multiply them just as Jesus multiplied the loaves and fishes. For he taught that every man had the power to bless and to multiply, to heal and to prosper. She said, what shall I do next? I replied, follow intuition. Have you a hunch to do something or to go anywhere? Intuition means in 
tuition or to be taught from within. It is man's unerring guide and I will deal more fully with its laws in a following chapter. The woman replied, I don't know. I seem to have a hunch to go home. I've just enough money for car fare. Her home was a distant city and was one of lack and limitation. And the reasoning mind or intellect would have said, stay in New York and get work and make some money. I replied, then go home. Never violate a hunch. I spoke the following words for her. Infinite spirit, open up the way for great abundance for blank. She's an irresistible magnet for all things, for all that belongs to her by divine right. I told her to repeat it continually also. She left for home immediately. In calling on a woman one day, she linked up with an old friend of her family. Through this friend, she received thousands of dollars in a most miraculous way. She has said to me often, tell people about the woman who came to you with eight dollars and a hunch. There is always plenty on man's pathway, but it can only be brought into manifestation through desire, faith, and this spoken word. Jesus Christ brought out clearly that man must make the first move. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. In the scriptures we read concerning the works of my hands. Command ye me. Infinite intelligence, God, is ever ready to carry out man's smallest or greatest demands. Every desire uttered or unexpressed is a demand. We are often startled by having a wish suddenly fulfilled. For example, one Easter, having seen many beautiful rose trees in the florist's window, I wished I would receive one, and for instance saw it mentally being carried in the door. Easter came and with it a beautiful rose tree. I thanked my friend the following day and told her it was just what I had wanted. She replied, I didn't send you a rose tree, I sent you lilies. The man had mixed the order and sent me a rose tree simply because I had started the law in action and I had to have a rose tree. Nothing stands between man and his highest ideals and every desire of his heart but doubt and fear. When man can wish without worrying, every desire will be instantly fulfilled. I will explain more fully in a following chapter the scientific reason for this and how fear must be erased from the consciousness. It is man's only enemy. Fear of lack, fear of failure, fear of sickness, fear of loss, and a feeling of insecurity on some plane. Jesus Christ said, Why are ye fe fearful, O ye of little faith? So we can see we must substitute faith for fear. Confidence for fear, for fear is only inverted faith. It is faith in evil instead of good. The object of the game is to see clearly one's good and to obliterate all mental pictures of evil. This may be done by impressing the subconscious mind with the realization of good. A very brilliant man who has attained great success told me he had suddenly erased all fear from his consciousness by reading a sign which hung in a room. He saw printed in large letters this statement, Why worry? It will probably never happen. These words were stamped indelibly upon his conscious, subconscious mind, and he has now a firm conviction that only good can come into his life. Therefore, only good can manifest. 
In the following chapter, I will deal with the different methods of impressing the subconscious mind. It is man's faithful servant, but one must be careful to give it the right orders. Man has ever a silent listener at his side, his subconscious mind. Every thought, every word is impressed upon it and carried out in amazing detail. It is like a singer making a record on the sensitive disc of the phonographic plate. Every note and tone of the singer's voice is registered. If he coughs or hesitates, it is also registered. So let us break all the old bad records in the subconscious mind, the records of our lives which we do not wish to keep, and make new and beautiful ones. Speak these words aloud with power and conviction. I now smash and demolish by my spoken word every untrue record in my subconscious mind. They shall return to the dust heap of their native nothingness, for they came from my own vain imaginings. I now make my perfect records through the Christ. I now make my perfect records through the Christ within, what she also calls the superconsciousness department of the mind, the records of health, wealth, love, and perfect expression. This is the square of life, the game completed. In the following chapters, I will show how man can change his conditions by changing his words. Any man who does not know the power of the word is behind the times. Death and life are in the power of the hunt. This is chapter one. We will continue chapter two later next week. So I hope it helps. Today I'm going to read the umpire your life. It's a very short little uh, words of wisdom from Joel Boyntishen, and I hope I'm not torturing her name. Umpire your life. If life is a game, and even if it is not, can you accept the idea that you call the events in your life very much like an umpire would call the balls and strikes in a baseball game? I'm sure you can remember the times when you did not agree with the umpire's call when you were watching a baseball game. Perhaps it was because you were viewing the pitch from another perspective. In the case of a sporting event, it does not matter what we think when it comes to the final say. In other words, the umpire's point of view is the one that counts. He is the one that says, it ain't nothing till I calls it. That is what I would like you to do with the experiences in your life. Why not call them good? As soon as you do, they will be. This has been my experience. No matter what the situation may look like at the time, as soon as I declare it good, the whole situation changes. Since God the good is all there is, I know that is the intended outcome. I love what Joseph said to his brothers who had sold him into slavery in Egypt. They came to him for help when they were starving. Joseph, by then, was an assistant to the Pharaoh. Summing up what had happened to him, Joseph said to his brothers, You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. If I call an event good, regardless of appearances, it is just like surrendering, surrendering to the will of God. God knows what lies just beyond this point in my life. God means it for good, even though it may not look like my idea of good. I really enjoy this. This is a really great little uh, statement and it's a good way of looking 
at the things that are happening in your life. No, you know, I know this is meant to be to, for my good. Everything is working towards my good. You know, God is good and it's all God, so I know it's bringing me my good. It's working towards my good. It, somehow this is good. I may not see it right now, but I will. You know, I know all is working towards my good. I've added this on to the first chapter of The Game of Life by uh, Florence Scovel Shin so that you could see that they're basically all saying the same thing. This is a game, okay? And you're the umpire, and you're calling the balls and strikes. But it's your higher self doing that, and it's working towards your good. You claim it. You start flooding your mind with nothing but good, the aspects of God, the aspects of life, these wonderful things, and they do start to appear to you in life. So I hope this helps. Blessings to you, and thank you. Thank you for being you.